The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the George and Tony Entertainment Show. Prepare for awesome mediocrity. everybody. Welcome to the George and Tony Entertainment Show. We're the 8th and 9th Dwarves of the Realm Network. I'm George, and Tony is in a perpetual loop on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. But that's neither here nor there because we are still a weekly, family-friendly podcast about pop culture, from our point of view. As always, our show is brought to you by the Amazon link at georgeandtony.com. We would appreciate it if you would consider doing all of your online shopping using the link at our website. It won't cost you any extra and it will help support the show. And speaking of supporting the show, we ask that you continue to at least try to tell your friends, family, and mortal enemies about our show. We keep saying here how amazing it is how many people don't know podcasts exist. There are those who know they exist, but have resisted sticking their toe in the water and giving them a try. And I hope that maybe you can introduce them to the magical world of podcasting and introduce them to the George and Tony Entertainment Show. And I'd also like you to introduce them to all the shows on the Realm Network. We have a variety of shows for all different interests, and I believe that they will find something that is incredibly entertaining to them. Hopefully it's this show. Now, I know our last few episodes without Tony have centered around the world of comic books, and that is because that is my hobby. I'm an avid comic book reader, as you all know, and when Tony's not here and we have guests and guest hosts, they tend to be in the realm of the comic book world. For instance, for the last two episodes, Rich Galhoffer of Comic Logic at ComicLogicVA.com filled in on episodes 118 and 119. We also had Hope Nicholson on for a portion of the show on episode 117, and she is the owner of Bedside Press, and she has edited plenty of comic and geek-related books that are available right now for you to purchase via the Amazon link at GeorgeAndTony.com. So I don't want to scare anybody away and make them think that we only talk about comics here. That, that is definitely not the case. What we are is a pop culture show. The thing that differentiates us from other generic pop culture shows that don't have any particular niche subject matter every week is that we replace what I would call tabloid talk with our hobbies. Tony's an avid gamer. I am a longtime comic book reader. So instead of talking about pop star relationships, Kim Kardashian's butt, Justin Bieber's latest faux pas, Tony and I replace that talk with our geek-centric interests. This week, I had the pleasure to talk to two of the four hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, because besides for comics, I am a fan of the Disney World Parks down in Orlando, Florida. You've heard me talk about them here on the show. Uh, Since the show started, I've been down there, I think, twice And in the last five or six years, maybe I've been there about four or five times, which isn't the normal way my vacations have gone. It just had worked out that way. And having gone so often in such a short period of time, I've come to appreciate other parts of the park that most people may ignore. Because let's face it, when you go down to Disney World, sometimes it's a once in a lifetime thing. You may not go there for five years at a time. And there's so much there and you could take a lot for granted. My guests today, Todd McCartney and Brian P. Miles from the Retro Disney World podcast, which can be found at RetroDisneyWorld.com, talk about the history of the parks. 
if you go to their website, they have restored films from the early days of the Magic Kingdom. Now, this would be even pre-Epcot opening. We're talking about 1971, 1972. They've restored film footage. They've got photos. They talk in depth on their podcast about attractions that don't exist anymore or the history of favorite attractions and how they've changed over time. They talk about original blueprints and how they were altered in between the time of conception and the time of being built. They have guests on their show who actually worked at the park in the early days. And they give firsthand accounts to the guys about their time there and things that are more mythical than factual that the guys get confirmation about. So as much as I want you to introduce your friends to the George and Tony Entertainment Show and all the other shows on the Realm Network, I want you to introduce them to Retro Disney World, which can be found on iTunes and at their site at RetroDisneyWorld.com. They're also known as Retro WDW, and we're going to talk about all their social media presence and how you can get in touch with them and how you can follow them on all the platforms. Plus, if you're listening to this during the week that it posts, which is the week of May 16th, we have a little bit of a preview of what they're going to be talking about on this month's show. They had put out the word to their listeners regarding what they wanted them to talk about on May's episode. Retro Disney World is a monthly podcast, by the way. And they put it out there. They gave everybody three choices. And you get to hear here on the show what the choice is for the subject of the May episode of RetroDisneyWorld.com. So to any new listeners out there who uh, might be hearing my voice for the first time because you are listeners of the Retro Disney World podcast, welcome to the show. I hope you'll give us a chance, maybe go through our archives, find some of our other shows, or or listening over the next couple of weeks. Tony is scheduled to be back next week. And if you're a current listener of the show, thank you for continuing to stick with us and spreading the word. And I hope that you enjoy meeting Todd McCartney and Brian P. Miles of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Cue those chimes. I am thrilled to be joined tonight by Todd McCartney and Brian P. Miles, two of the four gentlemen behind the Retro Disney World website and podcast. Check them out at RetroDisneyWorld.com, and we're going to be talking more about their site and all the things associated with it, but let's get right into it. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, George. Uh, Yes, thank you. I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a while. I've, I've discovered your podcast, and to be honest with you, I don't know how I discovered it. Before we get into the show, why don't you tell the folks about... RetroDisneyWorld.com and where else they can find stuff about you guys and uh, what the website's all about. Sure. Uh, so, George, Retro Disney World, or um, it's also be Retro WDW, that's how we're known, Twitter and Facebook and other places. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a one-stop uh, visit for, for people looking for old Disney stuff, uh, old Disney World information from photos, pictures, videos, films, and of course, as you mentioned, the, the, the podcast. So it's kind of like you, you can come here and really take a, a trip back in time and kind of look at uh, the way it was. But as it, that, that was the original incarnation of it. And then as we grew and got bigger and did some different things and we started doing the, the restorations of the films and uh, started doing the podcast, those two things have really become... Um, you know the the mainstay of the, of the website where people are coming for the films as well as the uh, as the the podcast. Can you tell the folks almost like your origin story? Uh, not only for you two guys, but the other two, and we'll have to give them shout outs during the show because <laughs> yes. they're not here. We'll, we'll roll the clocks all the way back to yeah. 1992. How's that? Uh, that's fantastic. Pre-internet days. So yeah. so we'll 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 condense twenty some years in, into five minutes here. Okay. Um, 
so way way back uh, at the end of 1992, I was I was heading into college, and um, uh, at the time I had self-published a book called Walt Disney World Made Simple, and uh, previous to that it was called The Very Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. And it was um, pre-internet days, and and you could actually get the book for free um, over uh, things called Usenet, and and all the geeks out there will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, I went off to college and I actually started to produce an actual book where you could buy it, physical, you know, copy. And, and, uh, it was my, uh, late night pizza and calzone and beer money for, for through, through college by selling that thing. Um, that begot a website called DisneyCorner.com, which I ran for a number of years starting in the late nineties. Um, and eventually as I got into the early two thousands, the book kind of fizzled out. DisneyCorner.com started doing whatever it was doing on its own with forums and discussions but it never it never caught on like the sites that you see out there today you know uh, you know whatever WD magic or or mice chat or any of those it, it never caught on like that so um you know i get married i have a kid i kind of fall away from the disney cycle i kid gets to be about three years old you start thinking about the way things were you take him down there on his first visit and uh that's when i kind of had the idea and um around 2011 2012 to start the site retrodisneyworld.com and uh, i, I kind of took a cue from walt you know someday sitting there you know on the park bench thought there'd be a place to go play together well i thought there should be a place <laughs> to put all this old crap <laughs> that everybody's got <laughs> hanging around uh and you know everybody at that point was writing articles uh about epcot and the way it was and, and the way um the Magic Kingdom was in the resort and st still tons of fantastic blog articles out there but nobody was capturing um, and saving all those images and, and saving those things together so Retro Disney World ran for about a year or so and um, through Twitter I got to know Brian who's with us tonight Brian P. Miles um, he's, he's waving in the video but we know he yeah. is he's well, I, didn't, I didn't want to speak over you because I no, was just okay. going to say greetings from the Commonwealth <laughs> of Pennsylvania <laughs> Uh, I also met uh, JT Couser. Actually, JT started writing for Retro Disney World in the very beginning when, when we started it. And I uh, also met Hal Bowers. So um, as we got to know each other on Twitter, I said I went on a kind of a uh, podcast tour introducing the, the, the website. And I said, hey, guys, what, you know, I've been a guest on some podcasts. Who wants to join me? And a couple months later, we had our very first awkward episode. Uh, <laughs> But it actually came out pretty good, and we we kept going from there. And um, one of the things that boosted it was um, between opening the website and starting the podcast, I got into film restoration. And uh, I started by taking my grandparents' film from 1972, uh, having it digitally transferred, and then learning how to use all sorts of different pieces of software to remove the scratches and you know take out the shake and take out the flicker and improve the color and, and bring it back to life. And I got to know Brian. One of the reasons that um, I got to know him via Twitter was because uh, he said, "Oh, I went to a what was it, Brian? A garage sale or something? Or a yard sale?" Yes. Yeah. He picked up this what we refer to today as the pristine seventy-one film, which was a, a home movie from November nineteen seventy-one. Um, so just a few <clears throat> weeks after the Magic Kingdom opened. So he sent that to me and and um, restored it. We started. That was our one of our first films that we talked about. And uh, yeah, we're now heading on to podcast episode 19. We've restored probably ooh, a good 20 to 25 different home movies, both some of our own and 
we scour them on eBay. Brian has this knack for finding them at garage sales, and he has this knack for finding everything of 1971. <laughs> well, well, the 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 story of that reel is that uh, I came across it, and it just said Florida, November 1971, and I looked at it and said. There's no way anybody went to Florida in November of 1971 and didn't go to Disney World, which <laughs> right. had opened six weeks earlier. That's right. So on a whim, I bought it and said, maybe, just maybe we get lucky. And, you know, Todd saw me take a couple of screen grabs of, I mean, literally taking a picture of a projection and saying, hey, look at this cool film I found. And, and he contacted me through Twitter and said, uh, if you send that to me, I'll, you know, I'll restore it. And. So we sent it up there, and I, I think it was probably like when when Bob Ballard looked through the monitors the first time he saw the <laughs> boiler of the Titanic. Todd's like, "You have no idea what kind of shape this thing's. This is like pristine." And so it really has become the at the time it was the earliest known eight millimeter movie footage, home movie footage that was anywhere in public circulation. I mean, right. we've looked all over. There's there's nothing earlier. So we wow. were the earliest glimpse of the park. The other interest the other interesting thing about it was that the the cinematographer, the guy taking the movie, didn't care about who he was with. All of the footage was scenery footage. It was the like if you could send someone back there and say, Well here's the stuff I'd want you to get shots of. Don't worry about Aunt Ethel standing <laughs> in front of right. the flower <laughs> mark. And this guy just went and took it was it was straight scenery for for you know, four glorious minutes. Exactly, exactly. And as as Brian alluded to, there it was the the oldest known uh, footage up until a point. So we'll we'll leave it at that. There is okay. There's new footage coming. Oh, so all right. Oh, nice actually, tease. Yeah, I I, th I think we can say the tease. Yeah, we, ha so. we have found earlier footage exactly in almost equally good condition. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that, and, and you're working on that one right now. We, we, it's yeah. actually completed, and uh, yeah, we just have to yeah. time out time out a release for it. But uh, it it may stay there until our appearance at Destination D later this year. Okay, right. and that that might be a good uh, good thing to do to World hold off on it. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, and hold it. So what what's really interesting, George, is that through the through the film restoration, we've actually uncovered kind of a, a, a bit of a social experiment, or a, um, I don't know which one to look at, how, how you want to say it, but What's interesting is that if if you roll the clocks back to 1971, you think about a cartridge of film being only three minutes, um, the cost of the the film and processing around I think it was anywhere from eight to ten dollars back then, including That's the right. processing and the shipping. Um, many of these people went to the theme park armed with maybe one, maybe up to three film cartridges. So you're talking anywhere from three to nine minutes to record your visit. And what's really interesting is that if you compare you know, the 20 or so films that we've restored, uh, there's amazing similarities between all of them. Sure. Uh, there is the, the we're parking, we're driving, we are on the monorail going over. And in one particular film that I remember, so it was only three minutes, their entire entire day. Yeah, at the beginning of the film, it was real quick things, two seconds, three seconds, five seconds. <laughs> and then towards the end of the day, he realized he had still had three minutes and the day was getting longer. <laughs> Had grown on, and now you had 15 seconds scenes and 20 yeah. seconds scenes. But again, going back to the scenes, that um, there were just certain spots that in that time period captured people's imaginations and captured the way that they wanted to replay the Magic Kingdom back for their friends. Um, and you got to remember, this really was a way you were making a travel log and you would bring it back home and you'd sit people down in your house and play it. It was yeah. a social event. 
and uh, it was it's really interesting to see the amazing similarities. So, I mean, sometimes we, we we get one, we're like, oh my god, it's the same stuff over again, and you're you know, you're looking frame by frame to see something that may give a clue about something that we've you know that you need to uncover. For, we have a, we have a joke. Todd will say like, I'll get a reel in and I'll I'll run it through the editor and start looking, and I say, what's on it? And I say, yeah. Okay, it's TTC, uh, Seven Seas Lagoon, uh, Turnstiles, Main Street, Town Square, Castle, Flower Market. I mean, it, it, it's almost like we've seen it so many times. That, yeah. that, and and parades. I, I mean, of people, people that probably 50% of the footage we've seen, not always that we've restored, but right. 50% of the footage that we've gotten has just been of parades. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what the infatuation was. And in watching a parade over and over and over again of so many of them in silence is it's a little numbing. I don't care for them now. So, no, exactly. You know. <laughs> Even with sound and in person. I, I find it amazing that you started writing the book, mm -hmm. Todd, when you were going into college. Actually, I started three years prior to this. I was like, so a, yeah, like fifteen years old, sixteen years yeah, old when you yeah, started this. There. Yeah, you grew up in the Northeast, though. I right? grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah. How often had you been down there that this fascination was there? Well, I thought that question he was going to ask is, how often did you get out of the basement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my bedroom was down there. <laughs> Um, I, let's see. I started writing it probably around eighty nine, ninety, and by that point, I had been there four or five times. By that point, now okay. one of them I would never remember because it was right. it was nineteen eighty. You know, I was only six years old. I went down there and really started to absorb things, and I started to collect memorabilia and ephemera and all sorts of other stuff. Um, I scoured Bird Bombs, you know, guide, and when I went down there in ninety, I think I went back in ninety one and ninety two as well. Uh -huh. um, and my grandparents went down there often. They'd bring me back material, and they'd bring me back eyes and ears and different things. They'd get friendly with cast members and come back with all sorts of cool shit. And um, basically, I, I had so much knowledge of it, and also I, I, I kind of liked navigating the parks and figuring out a way to get from A to B quicker and all that. So it really became kind of a, a handbook type guide rather than something you're going to sit down and plan your entire vacation around. Um, and the real the real reason it even started was my mother had a pen pal in England and uh, she wrote to us and said, Oh, you know, we're, we're going to Disney world. Todd knows a lot about it. Could you, you know, can he pen a quick letter to us? Well, oh, wow. I penned like 10 pages and I'm like, well, there's no point in putting this to waste. <laughs> so I broke it out into chapters and sections and it grew and grew and grew. And, and having your father as a, a printer and, and my mother was an illustrator and uh, she, uh, you know, she had, she had illustrated some books on her own. My dad was the printer and it was, you know, became a natural fit to to produce that, and now in the technology age, you know, we're just we're so beyond that. Too. But and as much as Brian's busting your chops about it, though, while some kids your age at the time were down in their basement playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, <laughs> you you were scouring the maps to uh, Disney World trying to figure out all this stuff. And that that's that's pretty amazing. Now, Brian, is your story amazing or just as dorky as, as no, uh, no, I, I I love it. it. This this is great stuff. Now, Brian, is your story similar as much as you're busting Todd's chops? Not remotely. Okay. <laughs> um, now, are you are, are you born and bred in the Northeast also? I'm Philadelphia born and raised. Okay. So again, how how about you? How many times had you gone down? Say up until your teen years. Uh, had you gone down time. One, one time. One time. We went. Uh, I tell the story on our Christmas episode this year, but the short version is. 
Christmas Eve, uh, I was 13 years old. My parents gave us a, uh, an envelope on Christmas Eve. My brother, older brother, younger sister, and I, we opened it, and it said we were going to Disney World a month. Wow. Uh, so we had a three-day trip down there plus a day at SeaWorld that, at the end of January. Um, and I came home from there enamored with Epcot Center, enamored with the Tiki Birds, enamored with uh, the resort altogether and just, you know, really wanted to go back. And uh, at some point in high school, I found out that one of my uh, acquaintances who became a very good friend my senior year in high school had been there like 14 times or something like, you know, he started telling me, oh, my family and I, we, we kind of go like every year, or every other year. And he had been to Disneyland. So, so he became my Disney buddy. Uh, and I had told him when we were graduating high school, like, look, I really want to like go back there. And can we, can we go sometime on a trip? Can we plan for it? So, uh, we saved about three years and then a group of us, uh, who were high school friends, uh, drove down, uh, which is about 15 hours. Uh, and in January of 98 and or 95 rather, I'm sorry. And so we made it back in 95 and then, uh, and then 98 was when I started. I had started working uh, and earning a living as an adult. And uh, <laughs> from that year on, there had been one or two visits every year ever since. Usually one mm-hmm. until, more, until more recently. And now I get down there two or three times a year, it, uh, mostly to visit friends. I mean, not, not that I don't love to go to the parks. I do, right. and, and I go on every visit. But I've made a lot of friends in Florida and, and friends through, through the you know, retro Disney world uh, from around the country that – I'm, I'm always intersecting with them down there. So that's as much of an attraction now as, as the actual parks are. Uh, would uh, JT and Howe have kind of similar stories when a couple of times as kids became enamored? and? Well, uh, JT was a fetus when most of us were in high school. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are many, many times where we talk and he's like, yeah, I wasn't born mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, right, yes. Uh, but JT's family used to vacation at uh, Fort Wilderness. They would camp there for like two weeks right, right. every year. And he still got only a big passion for it. But would only go to the parks a couple of days over the over the course of the the two weeks. Like that, the 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 Fort Wilderness was really the the attraction for them. Right. Uh, so when we did our Fort Wilderness episode, he led that discussion. It was, it was really fascinating to listen to him. I mean, all the nuances uh, and and you know powerful firsthand experiences he had there. Uh, so it was an interesting perspective. Yeah, a lot of people uh, probably. I know I've never done that, and probably never yeah. will. Yeah. And Hal's family moved from Buffalo uh, when he was, what was it, three or four years old, maybe? Yeah, he was, he was pretty young. Yeah. He was pretty young, but they moved down there the year the park opened. Right. Uh, he had family that, was, that moved down there he, to, to work. He, yeah, he had family that moved down there to work on construction in the park. Uh, so he, he, he and his family have been down there ever since, and he grew up uh, you know, going there every now and then on a weekend. Uh, and then in his teen and, and 20s, uh, spent a lot of time in the parks. Um, so he's he's got the he's he's our uh, our our wise old Yoda when it comes to the parks. <laughs> <laughs> it was Howe who attended the opening of at the time he's, Disney, uh, Disney MGM, MGM Studios, Studios yeah. right? Yeah, yes. But your show is primarily though the history of the parks prior to that, right? Well, the intention was what we said a, a mark in the beginning. It's kind of a the, stick in the mud and the sand if you will is mm-hmm. it's 25 years okay. kind of going back is kind of what we're considered retro so because we're coming up uh, uh, you know around that now and um we said all right coming up to you know 1990 or so we said all right we're gonna induct 
you know, Disney MGM yeah. Studios in plus it was turn how will it just just turned 25, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the rule of thumb is that we go back 25 years and, and bring things in. And, you know, no, we're not going to be touching Animal Kingdom for a little while yet. <laughs> yeah, we've got about eight years left yeah. before we catch yeah, up to Animal Kingdom. But there are things, there's so much to cover up to that 1989-1990 point right now that, um, sure. you know, that, that it's just amazing stuff. So, yeah, there has to be a cutoff. Um, right. The one interesting is that somebody who there was a podcast um, a producer that I spoke to and he goes, ah, you know. If I had done a retro Disney podcast way back when I started this, I'd be done by now. Mm. I thought to myself, <laughs> it will never be done, but there's just yeah, right. so so much to talk about because some of the things that we do talk about, you would not, I, I never even thought that I would spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking about the sure. wave machine or talking about, um, you know, Roy's cabin or, or Roy's cabin. Just, Yep. Just, I mean, we, we've spent more time talking about the Jungle Cruise frogs than the Jungle Cruise <laughs> frogs actually existed <laughs> in the Jungle Cruise. Right. And actually, believe it or not, the one of the films we restored, one of the ones from my grandfather, another person, was um, the 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 sole pr the very first proof that the Jungle Frogs actually existed. It was legend up until then. And one of the films we restored, we have moving footage of the Jungle Cruise frogs actually doing their thing. So. We've been uncovering little things like that, um, little tidbits here and there over over the years. Yeah, that was in the '71 film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was in the pristine '71 film. We, it was like nine frames, and that's it. We got them all. <laughs> Todd turned it into a GIF. You know. Yeah, you, <laughs> you had proof of life of the uh, of the frogs. Exactly. I love how you educate us or remind us, depending on what perspective the listener has, when when you guys talk about this stuff on your on your show and. How the episode about how attending that opening, mm -hmm. I, I love that episode. And, of course, I encourage everybody to listen to all your episodes. But that, that episode was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was because that episode is the one that we've done so far that had a, had a, a very personal connection to how. And also sure. we, had, uh, we had Dave Ensign on, on that show as well. And um, because they, they were great friends then. And um, for those that don't know, Dave Ensign is also known as Hoot, Hoot Gibson. So it's a lot of fame if you... <laughs> If you uh, <laughs> query that, but um, what what's interesting and what people have written to us and they like about it is they like the personal aspect of it. They like hearing the stories yes. firsthand. They like hearing how a, a specific film or a specific event is tied just to people's lives and what they felt about. Just as Brian talked about his Christmas story, and I've got my grandparents' story, and how's got that in GT. There's all these great things, and and that was the. I think the only episode so far where it has been a complete recollection from start to finish. And if I recall correctly, Brian, I, I don't think we even did anything else that episode, right? I think we did some comments oh. and corrections and it was, it was I mean, was we even edited, we even edited some stuff out That's true. I mean, just because, you know, they spent over two hours talking about that first day. And, right. and the really fascinating thing was he kind of remembered all of it. I mean, between yeah. the two of them, they remembered like, well here, then we went here, then we went there. Then the whipped cream was really cold in the, in the sound studio and then this and then that you know it was neat it was yeah, yeah the recollection it maybe they kept a diary or a journal do you think or do you think it was really embedded in their mind so much because they went into pretty pretty amazing detail about they things did. that don't exist anymore yeah i i don't know how many notes that they ever kept or photos <laughs> i mean i know they were right. both of them were very clicky when it came to the camera at the parks but i, I don't right. know how much where they got all the information from the first day yeah, I, mean, I know i know how had an opening day map in front of him and was kind of retracing his steps and mm -hmm. and then from kind of from there they were 
they were talking about everything that they did and being very hungry and not being able to find things to eat and <laughs> how still laments the catwalk bar no longer existing which was upstairs over top of the brown derby i guess he's I saw him take a picture of the staircase there and say, oh, that's the way to the catwalk bar. <laughs> Just a couple of weeks ago, he tweeted a picture of that. Do you go to the parks with a clinical eye now? Can, can you really, in, because you're historians, really, when it comes down right. to this. Maybe, this may be your hobby, but you're really historians <laughs> about, the, about the parks. Can you go there and actually enjoy yourselves after having been there so many times? And now you go, oh, yeah, I know how this is. I know it by rote or... I, this used to be in this spot, but now it's this ride or it's this uh, – the bathroom is here, but this wasn't a bathroom before. Yeah, I'm going to let Brian go first, but then I've got my own stuff. Okay. Well, I, I mean I'll say this. One of the things that I think is – you know, attracts all types to our, to our podcast uh-huh. is that all four of us still enjoy going to the parks. I mean, yes, there are things we wish were still there. Yes, there are things about today's parks we don't particularly care for. But we don't spend any time on our podcast talking about it because we're really there to kind of talk about things that aren't there anymore, things that used to be different uh, in more of a fun, wistful way. Uh, so personally, it's still a vacation for me because I have to fly there. Sure. Uh, and, and even if it's two or three times in a year, uh, it's still not a place I can go without a lot of planning and a lot of money and a lot of, you know, uh, so I still plan my fast pass before every every trip and plan my meals and and you know all of that so i love it i mean i and 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 i don't look at it um i don't look at it that way there are things i notice now that i didn't used to notice uh and 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 so an experience i had just last year i was walking through world showcase and you know, I'm, I've always been more the way I used to tour the parks was I was very driven by you know how many rides I can get on and no, I don't want to go on any boring movies or anything. and and over time as you, you know as if you visit more frequently, well you know okay I can skip I don't need to wait in line for Toy Story Midway Mania it's the same ride but I will go in and watch Impressions to France and I'll tell you what I had seen it over the years never paid much attention to it and and uh, Todd knows. I, I about four or five years ago, I sat through it and it just blew me away. Hmm. And I mean, the film's essentially unchanged except for a couple right. of frames since since 1982. But I now never skip it. I sit through it, uh, and and it moves me every time I see it. It's just beautiful, and the soundtrack, and knowing more of the history because we've talked about the guys behind filming it, and the and the beautiful uh, score by Buddy Baker, and I mean all those things that I didn't know. The first right. couple times I saw it, the other experience also in World Showcase I had was, I I look I do look for detail now and I delight in it, which hmm. before I used to take it for granted there because sure. you, you do get immersed, and so an example of that is I walked into uh, the the um, uh, in Morocco and first you go into the the little courtyard house there with the fountains, and then you move into the shops in the back and I walked into one of the shops. And I was with somebody who's a regular who lives there uh, year round and has been to the parks a billion times. And I walked in and I looked up in this shop and there's this whole level of detail on the second level of this shop that is not you know, there to, for, the, for the public to shop in or anything. It's just there to see as scenery. And we both said, wow, <laughs> never noticed this before. I mean, so you do notice some of that kind of stuff uh, as, as you visit a little more frequently or as you look for it. But it hasn't changed the way I, I look at my visits there. I mean, it's still a vacation. 
I still love it, and and it still lets me disconnect from the outside world. Well, so similar similar things to what Brian said, where you, you know, no more in the rush as you get older, and and also too, I, I have a son in tow now when we go down as a family. So there's certain things and aspects I want to see, and I see it through his eyes, which which is neat, as my grandparents saw the the parks through my eyes. Um, there are certain aspects that I walk through, and if I'm not with somebody as geeky as myself, you know, I'm probably me pointing out to friends. Well, you know, over here they used to. Yeah, they all look at me like I got three heads. Like I don't, I don't care that you know that that was there. Um, but when you're with the right side of people, you know um, that, that that enjoy that stuff, it's, it's kind of fun. But even then, I've been with friends before, and I took them on a boat tour and went around and pointed out where the wave machine was and told them the story of, wave, of uh, Roy's cabin and and stuff like that. Um, some of it is hard too. Uh, you know, there are certain things as Brian pointed out too. There are points as, and parts of the of all, all the theme parks that we miss and really. Uh, wish we could go back to. For me uh, personally, it's uh, I think uh, stuff I miss and a lot of people miss the most is Epcot Center and the way that it was in the mid the mid eighties. Um, you know, a lot of us who had a very fond uh, memory of it and and really identified with with the different theme park with the different attractions and pavilions um, have a hard time with seeing it the way it is now. But the great part is, is you go out and you seek those things that are still there and you get the enjoyment out of them. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I still go down there about once a year. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it, and um, I've actually now tried to go and see other things that I didn't do than uh, you know when I used to go uh, when I was younger. Um, you know, whether it's horseback riding or or you know, archery or or something else, or, or taking my son to the the um, Chippendale Jamboree, you know, the marshmallow roast and, and movie. Those are the things I didn't do as a kid, and uh, doing those now, and you know, also being old enough to enjoy the adult beverages. It's always a fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but that is one of the things. A lot of people don't have the opportunity to go as often as you guys. And I've been lucky enough in the past six or seven years to average about once a year, once every 18 months. Okay. Uh, pr- prior to that, maybe it was every three years or something like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying going back down. And I do like the – it's almost like a, a weight is lifted when you don't feel like you have to rush everything in and fit everything in because this is the Mm -hmm. only time I'm going to be here for 10 years or even ever. And one of the things that I enjoy about your show is I I used to go down when I was a kid. Also, my grandparents lived down there. And when you guys talk about attractions that existed at one time and don't exist any longer, you helped me gain my sanity back because there are times (laughs) when I think, I could have sworn something was here. And now there's something else in its place, like I was talking about before. Do you get feedback from your listeners about episodes that really resonated oh this ride is no longer there or uh, are they asking you for a particular ride or attraction that doesn't exist anymore uh how is the community uh, responding to things like that the community comes back well it comes back a lot of different ways a lot of Mm -hmm. times a lot of the feedback is they can't wait for an episode on on x you know they, they, Mm -hmm. they can't wait for it they remember it um the other part of the feedback is, oh my gosh, you know, thanks for doing that show on World of Motion because I totally remember writing that. Those were great episodes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they were a long time. Yeah, they they they, 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 uh, they did bring back a like, lot of memories. It was like James Joyce's Ulysses that episode. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> all two parts of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we're we're stirring people's memories. Um, in, in ways that they come back with great questions and we're also stirring people's memories in ways that we can't even answer. You know, one, one yeah. individual wrote to us and they said, 
Do you remember the ride where you were on a boat and then you went through the sewers of Paris? <laughs> and you're like, um, yeah. We spent a fair amount of time trying to figure we out did. what we they did. could have been talking about and whether that existed in another park or so. Right. I think we yeah. got stumped. Yeah, we, we did. We did. And um, so we, we certainly try if any listeners write and we try to answer their questions. But it, it is varied. Um, but we are certainly, you know, poking at their memory banks and, and they are you know, flinching back with us with, with certain uh, questions and, and memories. You guys uh, have made me go back to, to digging out old photos <laughs> based on some of your episodes to try and look back at, like, say, World of Motion. It's been so long that right. I, until you guys mentioned certain things, it was almost like a myth in my mind that I actually went to this place. And then... As you were bringing things back, I it, like for instance, you uh, you allowed listeners to decide what your next episode is going to be about. Yes, and you gave them three choices. Yep, and one of the choices was Communicore. Yeah, I don't really remember much about Communicore. <laughs> Communicore is probably one of the things that people skipped the most of in Epcot, I would say, and also too, I, I think most people got Communicore confused because there was an East and West, and that was the only. Thing really delineating on the map was east and west and people say oh i i did that well yeah you only went to one side um but communicore at its peak um had all sorts of presentations and they were kind of like like interventions was to, is today with with, with the um uh, mini sponsored areas uh, however there's a lot of areas of invention that have been completely shuttered and shut down and just boarded up but you had and they knocked down part of it yeah that's i mean true. they made it a lot hmm. smaller yep so you you had you had Smart One, you had the Build Your Roller Coaster and Ride It, you had the Astuto Computer Review and Epcot Computer Central. Uh, AT&T had this huge thing on the population and communication. Uh, there was um, also, the, the I forget, was the Theater of Choices, or I forget the name, exact name, where you would go in and, and your, on your seat would be a number keypad, and they would interview you, and you would Oops. hit the number. Um, so there was a lot of really neat things, and you know, it hooked up to the original electric umbrella and um, where Club Cool was, that was part of it. And um, it was a much more cohesive experience than it is now, as much as it was designed and sponsored by different um, sponsors in each different area. It was a, a completely different cohesive experience. Um, and then you had the Centurium, which is where Mouse Gear is today, you know, which was a two-level shopping experience that uh, will yeah. never be uh, <laughs> never be matched. I seem to even recall that, and until you mentioned it, I thought that maybe I was at some off-site. I was remembering some off-site uh, uh, tourist attraction or or a shop. Right. And then when you mentioned it, I I started thinking about. It. I said, "Yes, I do remember that. I was there. <laughs> I shopped there. I remember that." Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Centaur. You know, because you you go to Mouse Gear, you go to World of Disney downtown uh, or Disney Springs now. Yeah. Uh, and you're used to these whimsical, um, cluttered kind of retail environments with those bright 90s and 2000s Disney colors. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about when we touched on on uh, Centurium was it was really like a fancy department store. Yeah. Uh, and it had that feel. And I think Hal gave high marks to the air conditioning in there. Um, the air conditioning yeah. at Epcot, all of Epcot was fantastic. Yeah, it's just super cold. And, yeah. uh, but but really that that you know when you see pictures now of what that shopping experience looked like, you say, boy, it just it just screams classy. 
Yep. And there was space between stuff, like Brian said, it wasn't clutter. It had the upstairs where Howe would play his uh, Atari, Atari 5200 50, <laughs> games. And I remember going up there and, and just you know, being wowed by all the, all the cool merchandise. So, But yeah, Communicore was, was one of the uh, three potential, potential choices, um, along with the land and uh, the living seas. Part of uh, what you do every week, just to let my listeners know if they haven't listened to your show yet, is you have the uh, the contest mm-hmm. for people to identify uh, the snippet of a song that you play or something from an attraction. Right. And what, one of your recent ones was from Cranium Command. That's right, yeah. I remembered the uh, – it sounded familiar to me, but I could not remember for the life of me the name of that attraction. Now, that, that was part of a, a larger pavilion, though, wasn't it, that Cr- no longer exists? Well, the, the 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 pavilion is there. It's it's still located between um, where Horizons was, which is is now Mission Space, and then mm-hmm. b- between that and between Universe of Energy. And most people don't even know that it's still there because it, the trees have grown up, and they, and they use it now for a festival center for the Flower Garden Show. Some oh, is that what they do? Corporate mm-hmm. events can can rent space in there. Um, so the pavilion itself exists. It was a half dome structure or a dome structure, if you will, with a kind of a, um, to use the word again, whimsical um, mobile of such hanging down from the middle and it had all these beautiful 90s turquoise and pink and purple colors and uh, tiled floors and it had a number of different attractions in the pavilion. Um, Most notable, as you mentioned, was Cranium Command, which was sitting inside the head of a 12-year-old boy as he goes through the day. Um, The the headliner attraction was Body Wars, which uh, essentially you can take star tours and put it in a medical field and shrink yourself down into the bloodstream um, and you're injected into somebody's body and flown around and stuff. I remember that now. (laughs) (laughs) The splinter scene is what most people remember in the red blood cells. uh, You get zapped out. Uh, and, and the somewhat controversial film of The Making of Me, um, which is all about kind of how babies come to, to, to be, but not in the way that you would think. But uh, but that was done very well and, and tastefully. And um, uh, there was a Goofy on Health, I think was the name of it. There were some places, hmm. small places to pick up some healthy bites, some exercise machines hooked up to video. You know, the faster you pedal, the faster you go down the street type of thing. Um it was the health pavilion had been on Epcot's drawing board since the very beginning, um, but uh, it did really. It was sponsored by MetLife initially, and it, it didn't. I, Brian, when did it close? Ninety, ninety-eight, maybe. Well, something? it was slow. So, I yeah, mean, it started to be run seasonal, and then uh, and then they just stopped reopening it. Um, in either late nineties or I think it's more closer to early two thousand, maybe two thousand one, when they finally stopped opening it altogether. Because they used to open it during, because they were, you know, they had a problem with uh, attractions there because Test Track took so long to actually get up right. and running. So they didn't, you know, they, they they were trying to only close one thing at a time as they were redoing pieces of Epcot. But uh, the reason Horizons lived on about three years beyond when it was supposed to was because Test Track wasn't done. Right. Uh, so anyway, they, uh, it was somewhere around there. Uh, that they that they shuttered it, but uh, not only is the pavilion still there, George, the attraction <laughs> is still there. Yeah, uh, they've probably taken the animatronics out of it and are in storage somewhere, but mm-hmm. the attraction is actually just behind a set of doors, right, right. and still sitting there uh, intact. Someone had visited. Um, the Body Wars machines have been completely moved, but as Brian said, the queue and the actual physical space for the ride is still the attraction is still there. Someone had checked out the Cranium Command. Um, theater and said that the theater was still intact and, and Buzzy was still hanging up. 
on the wall and the video projectors and everything were still there and it was basically waiting for a show now there's a couple pictures online that you can find a buddy looking in a pretty sad state but <laughs> who knows i always think with the movie inside out you've got a perfect head and you know a couple rework of some films and some uh new audio animatronic you, you may have a new attraction in the future one, one of the comments you made in one of your other episodes, I think it was when you were talking about the kitchen cabaret in the land, mm-hmm. you, you had mentioned something similar where that that attraction is actually walled up or something uh, of the sort. Is, right. is this uh, modus operandi uh, for <laughs> theme parks in general to keep it there? I mean, is it because they think they may use it in the future or what, what's the reasoning behind that? I think it's cost savings and lazy. Is that what it is? Be, yeah, oh, okay. to be honest with you. I mean... Mm-hmm. The, the, what 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 George is talking about and is essentially that behind parts of the walls of soaring as you enter through the fast pass area, you're actually going through the queue and also part of the theater area for the kitchen cabaret show, which became Food Rocks. Again, somebody went behind the scenes, got behind that wall, through a door, looked, and there was part of the stage. You know, s- still left. Hmm. Yeah, the I mean, there's two answers here. First, uh, in in uh, keeping with the theme that sometimes our memories, things seem like a lot long, more, longer ago than they were. <laughs> yeah. The pavilion actually did not close. That wonders a life pavilion until January one, 2007, that uh, they were still wow. opening. It. Yeah. It was still open up, up until the beginning of 2007. Oh, sweet. So we don't have to worry about it until 2032. All yeah. right. There you go. You're good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, demolition is is the most expensive thing you can do construction wise. It's it's more it's more expensive than actually building things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they do is they don't demolish anything that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like everybody wants to know why River Country is still sitting there and falling apart, uh, because eventually when they decide to do something with that property, uh, they'll spend the money and budget the money to actually demolish things and haul it out of there and environmentally get rid of all of it the right way. Uh, and the same thing's true with this pavilion. Until they have a, a, another use for it, uh, there's no reason not to just leave everything there. When you go to the parks, now we've been focusing a lot on Epcot here, and I'm going to continue that just at least for a moment. If, sure. uh, if, if the answer to this question shifts us back to the Magic Kingdom, more power to us. Well, last time I went, I went on the Universe of Energy ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that ride has remained unchanged. In fact, the film in there... Had to have been late 90s, maybe? Mid to late 90s? 1995, they actually redid that attraction as Ellen's Energy Adventure. The Mm -hmm. first time, it would essentially put you to... I mean, it was a very... (laughs) It was over an hour. I think it was like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, I I actually... I saw it, too. You know, I I try not to... uh, Say controversial things (laughs) that will upset too many people on Twitter... But I watched uh, just as a kind of a curiosity at my point because I did not really remember the original Universe of Energy film, and so I watched it last week, and, and I, you know, I just said, "Oh God, this, like no one would go in there if this was the intro film now." Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they do warn you about thirty times now. The cast member, this is a twenty-nine minute or thirty-seven minute attraction. Right. They tell you that like six times during the film. Uh, with Ellen before you get on the ride because nobody if anybody gets up in the middle of it it shuts the whole thing down uh but but yeah that that original film you watch it and it's just like it's like the worst science class you ever went to the most Uh, amazing part of the original attraction though was the triangular screens that rotated in in the pre-show area which are 
they were just absolutely brilliantly done and it was it, it was it was pretty cool i mean the dinosaurs is what everybody called it the dinosaur ride that's what everybody wanted right yeah. that's what everybody remembers yeah. yeah yeah that ride i think everybody would agree might need an overhaul <laughs> the the issue there uh is a couple of things one that's a tough subject to tackle now uh, mm-hmm. because like every other topic that shouldn't be controversial it is controversial. It is. <laughs> right. energy's controversial now for some reason <laughs> and uh and the building there's probably no way to rework an attraction in that existing building mm-hmm. uh so it, it's not a minor expense it's a massive major expense even getting the cars out of there I forget what they weigh, but they're insanely. It's like two tons or something like that. Each of those ride vehicles weighs. Uh, So, so I think that's a big part of the reason why. And I'll tell you what, I don't mind the attraction. I actually like going on it. Yeah, you have to remember too that that you know, when we say that these machines were two tons and then the the building is huge, that was part of the appeal when this stuff was purchased. I'm sorry, purchased built. it was a demonstration that they would say that these moving theaters are only guided by a wire or a quarter inch, you know, wide on the on the floor. You know, that seems like whatever, I got a remote control car now, Bluetooth, you know, but gotta go back thirty some years. And this was a demonstration of technology, just as the people mover was um years ago with the linear induction motors. It was a very similar thing that was being done. A lot of the stuff was was demonstrating technologies at the time. And that's you know where Communicator was demonstrating a lot and didn't get updated and then fell, you know, fell down and then interventions came in. When it comes to other rides, uh, you had a recent episode uh, talking about Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys personally lament that doesn't exist anymore? Hmm. And it doesn't necessarily. I, I mean, I would hope it was something that maybe you could remember from when you were kids. But even yeah. if even if you hadn't gone on and you said, "Boy, I really wish I could have ridden that." I think I've pretty much been on everything except the only thing I haven't seen in the Magic Kingdom was was um, the Mickey Mouse review. Other than that, I've, yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, I've, I've seen everything else. Um, I, I don't think it's any ride in particular for me. I think hmm. it is going back to what I said earlier. Uh, Epcot on a Epcot Future World in the mid '80s on a whole. You know, most people say, hmm. "Oh, it's Horizons by far." Well, no, for me it was that whole future experience, Promise of Tomorrow, the, the what it revealed, how much it, you know, uh, affected my mind and my thought process. Uh, to me, that's that's probably what I what I miss the most. But that's also the thing that I know, you know, isn't isn't going to be coming back anytime soon. Right. Yeah, and that would be the the first answer for me would be the same would be Future World at Epcot. But I, you know, there's there's stuff at the Magic Kingdom that I that I that I miss too uh, that they've redone. But I I mean I have very fond memories of uh delta dream flight mm. and if you mm. had wings before that um and I, I like to go through it now and point out when you go into the the tunnel and you're shooting it at emperor zerg flying around i say this is where the turbine <laughs> used to be That's the turbine right. used to be spinning here and <laughs> the barnstormer yeah, yeah and that, so i would tell them and look see so those see those cloud cutouts down there they just painted black over them i said that used to be the clouds we'd be flying to, flying to destinations here so I, I do miss that attraction there. I always I always enjoyed that. There's some there's some aspects to it if you stay in the Magic Kingdom for a second that you know are still there but have changed. Uh, maybe not for the better. The one that we've uncovered, not uncovered, but we've talked about uh, is, is 
you know, the Tomorrowland Speedway, how it's essentially, since it's an opening, has been halved in size. So it's a, it's a shadow of, of its former self. Um, you know, certain other things have been modified and, and changed over the years. Um, but the good news is a lot of the rides that, that are at the Magic Kingdom have remained, you know, pretty much the same since they're since the beginning you know nothing has been touched with Pink Thunder Mountain you know who knows it may get the upgrades like Disneyland got but I've been on that and they're they're great they're they're perfect for the time um right. you know, Splash is what it is it, it hasn't changed and even though that one opened in the early 90s it, it is what it is um but you know the 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 big ones that everybody talks about is 20k um and also talks about you know Mr. Toads as being the biggest losses um you know to to that theme park it was Mr. Toad one of the ones that you received the most feedback about also about people missing your your listeners and people who go to your website? Is that one of the ones they missed the most? That that they lament actually it only just recently went away, but I mean that they uh were sad that it was gone. So See, George, you're showing your age too. Do you believe it was eight, eighteen years, <laughs> years ago, ago that it went away? Was it eighteen years ago? <laughs> I could have sworn it years ago. Oh, you know what? That's right, because I went on it on my honeymoon. Oh yep. God. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the last time I went on it. That's right. So oh I had the God. same thing. It's like, oh, well, yeah. wasn't I just on it a few years yeah. ago? No, it, and and what, right. we're, what we're finding, oh too, God. is that I think as time has passed, people miss it. And as much as the yeah. Save the Toad website is still out there and there's still websites dedicated, 20,000, um, they they miss it. But um, I don't. I don't know if they're lamenting too much about it, but I don't know. I think I think the we've spread the wealth. Let's put it that way. There's there's there <laughs> there aren't a lot of people saying writing in and do this and talk about this and talk about this. But we get email from everybody asking us to do everything. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we always get an email asking about A, and the next one writes about B and C and D. And and an interesting thing is we also get into conversations about rides we were never on that we wish we had like that that predated kind of most of us sometimes even how. And I think the one that comes up most often there is the swan boats in yeah. the Magic mm. Kingdom. We all kind of wish, you know, we have footage, probably two or three films now that are shot from, you know, on on ride footage, including one that was kind of extensive. Yeah. Uh, and they're just angles of the Magic Kingdom that, I mean, only maintenance crew will ever see again. Right. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, not even them because of the way that the trees have grown mm -hmm. or that they've added things. Uh, but it was just so cool that you could get on a boat uh, in you know just off Tomorrowland Plaza, and take the take take the boat literally all the way around the Magic Kingdom through Adventureland and yeah, people forget that it went all the way right next to the treehouse and came back around to the yeah. it, it, it underneath the castle. I mean, you went yep. under the castle bridge, and I mean, it was just a really cool ride that didn't didn't really wasn't very profitable and didn't you know was very low capacity and prone to breaking down. So it eventually. Mm -hmm. When it was one of the first rides to go away forever. And th this is a great segue into some of the mysteries that are still out there for you, George. Is that on the swan boat footage, we were noticing that the, the, the girl piloting the boat had her hand on two different controls, two different mm. wheels. And we couldn't figure out, you know, how, how is that? Wait, what is, what's going on? What is, what is that going to do? Um, there was also talk that the boats were jet propelled rather than a propeller. There was talk mm -hmm. that it was eventually going to be um, automated and they were putting a different type of track system in. We have overhead footage from the mid-70s showing all these footer footings in the water. So that's just one of the many oddball things that all these films and different pieces of research have uncovered. And 
as we watch the different films and as we talk about an attraction or in an episode, you know, we go back, we find those spots and bring them up. And then you get some additional people writing and saying, oh, I know this or, you know, I work there or, you know, I've done such and such. So there are still a lot of mysteries out there that um, are, are just waiting to be uncovered. And actually, we, we the next film, one of the, the hinting back to the 71 film, I don't know if many people know this, but after the first couple months, the trams... The, the tugs for the trams weren't weren't hefty enough to actually pull the weight of the trams with people in them, and they got rid of them. And there's very few pictures um, of the very first trams, but we've got actual footage of the, the very first trams that were there to pull the parking lot guests before the Bob Gurr inspired ones um, yeah. were added in a number of years later. So on that topic, uh, uh, Todd's talking about how we get people who contact us, and all. on an early episode, uh, we had a, a riverboat captain on who told us about a plan that they had originally had to move the riverboats out into Seven Seas Lagoon every night and do booze cruises uh, for the hotel guests on, on one of the big riverboats. And how, uh, keeping in the story, actually found concept artwork models that showed the Liberty Square liver, uh, riverboats Oh, wow. uh, out docked at the contemporary in one of these early models. Yep. So, you know, we take the firsthand evidence of a guy that worked there and we take the model and uh, and we say, OK, there's there's evidence here that backs up his claim that this was originally an intent. But he added a wrinkle to it and said the reason it never happened was because uh, the the draft of the of the boats was actually two feet too high and the stacks would have hit the. The, the bridge that it would have had to pass under to get out of the canal into the into the Seven Seas Lagoon. And so we thought, boys, what a cool story. Mm-hmm. So fast forward about a year later, we have Tom Nabby on, and Tom was as a Disney legend, and, and one of his original responsibilities uh, was the monorail. Uh, he was one of the first uh, lead guys on the monorail when, when they got it up and running. And he happened to tell us a story about the day they were moving the riverboats into the into the you know from Seven Seas Lagoon up the channel and into uh, into um, into the Magic Kingdom, that uh, they were getting ready to move the boats and no one had bothered to check whether or not the draft was high enough to be able to get the stacks on. So he tells us the story on the podcast how they went over and literally stood on the monorail beam and dropped a weight with a string attached to it that was X feet long. Uh, and that's how they measured how long it was and, and it could get under there without a problem. So we then told him, like, hey, you know, we heard this story. And he said, no, it wasn't that reason. He says, even if that had been planned and he didn't know that it had ever been planned, he gave us like the five other reasons, most of them having to do with actually navigating it in and out and what a lengthy process that would be as to why they never did it. But it's really cool that you know, 40, 45 years later, you're getting these firsthand accounts and everybody kind of remembers it a little bit differently. And it also proves that how much, how much of the history and how much of their intentions you can find out, but just by studying what you think is just a a piece of concept art and that's it. The concepts are hidden and there's little treasures everywhere you look in that artwork. I love when you share that on your site. I also love when you share the, uh, the satellite views that you mm-hmm. that you've <laughs> dug up, especially when you talk about the uh, satellite. The there were no track. satellites in nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> but the photography. Uh, yeah. yeah, you show the uh, the reduction of that Grand Prix, cre- mm-hmm. the Grand Prix track. Yeah, and uh, that, that's amazing to actually see. Uh, you have that little uh, the animated uh, loop. Yeah, 
Yeah, the animated loop. Thank you. Uh, of of the difference between when it started and today. I love that. Right. You uh, mentioned the contemporary, Brian. Uh, I'd like to move on to the uh, to the hotels for a moment, if I may. Sure. One of your first the first episodes I listened to, you guys talked in length about the construction of the contemporary, and uh, you said some things that when I told they were new to me. The information was new to me, and then when I told people, "Hey, did you hear this about how they built the contemporary?" They're like. Yes, George, we know that, you know, welcome to the party kind of thing. Uh, what, yes, the chest of drawers. Uh, not, not to give it all away, folks. Uh, you probably all know, but I want you to listen to the, the Retro Disney World podcast and hear the guys talk about the construction of the contemporary. But when it came to how the actual design was for the resort itself, uh, a lot of hotel, even though there's a plethora of hotels there now, a lot of the originally planned ones never came to fruition. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Originally, there were five planned around uh, Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake, mm-hmm. and they built two of well, two of them originally. Uh, the pad for what eventually became the Grand Floridian sat there for twelve, fifteen years. Yeah, and actually, they... if you look at the going back to aerial and satellite, if you look at that, that even on the opening day, that was squared off completely, like a square yeah. jutting out, because that was going to be the uh-huh. exact footprint of of the Asian resort. Yeah, the Asian resort, and these yeah. so everything was going to have a theme, like the Polynesian yeah. has a theme. The, Correct. The, yeah. the Asian, the Persian, and the Venetian were the other three, mm-hmm. and uh, they did soil tests for both the Persian and the Venetian. Uh, the Persian was going to be kind of behind where the contemporary is, kind of down the monorail spur towards where the monorails go when they're going back to the roundhouse, mm-hmm. uh, and that one the the ground was too soft. And then they actually did testing for the the, the site of the Persian uh, again in the 90s uh, when they mm. were doing some work over there. Eisner was looking at adding another hotel between the Contemporary and the Polynesian uh, on land that some of it has been cleared for that uh, solar project they're doing now. Yeah, That was um, the Venetian was going to be. Yeah, the Venetian was going to be there. Yeah, right, right. The Persian yeah. was up on the north. Yeah. There was there was another one that most people don't know about to remember. There's something called Buffalo Junction, which was going to essentially sit somewhere between River Country and where Wilderness Lodge was. It's, it was it was on plans later, yeah. um, or even talked about and scrubbed. It's going to um, have its own railroad between them and yeah, yeah. retail so, district and. But yeah. the rumor has it that something between River Country and uh, Wilderness Lodge will eventually occur and. You know, that's you'll you'll probably eventually get to link all that stuff together on on that side of it. But, yep, Buffalo Junction, were the just north th- of where the airport was. Were, yeah. were the other three hotels scrapped because at the time they weren't getting the uh, the tourists in? I mean, everything's all a matter of money at that point. So, what what made them scrap that those plans? Um, the, well, the energy crisis first off of seventy three, uh-huh. seventy four. Um, and then the general economic malaise of the 70s, hmm. uh, that's the first thing uh, that originally said, okay, we can. And they did build the golf resort. You know, we shouldn't. Yeah. You know, they built the golf resort. They and were they building, expanded the Polynesian, too. And they were building resorts at Lake Buena, or Lake Buena Vista. They were building yeah. housing down there. That they so, so, I mean, they were doing some more with it. But in terms of developing that part of the property there, uh, really it was the energy crisis. And second, uh, they had this uh, company-wide commitment to build Epcot. They had made the decision they were going to build Epcot and the World Showcase would which you know World Showcase had many iterations including 
Uh, it was also going to sit on land that is now part of became the Walt Disney World Speedway, uh, mm. you know, for a time. But a part of the parking lot, they were going to build uh, possibly there or between the um, the uh, transportation ticket center and the Polynesian. They were looking at putting it there, too. But it was really going to be more just like kind of an international shopping mall. Uh, and so that concept kind of evolved and eventually got pushed together with Future World to become Epcot Center. But so they were looking at all that. Uh, the big thing that drove them, though, was they, you know, th th their corporate leadership said, we're not a hotel company. And so mm -hmm. it was not a priority for them. And they didn't really see it as as their primary business. Uh, and that was, I mean, number one edict when they hired Eisner in 84, when the board upheaval happened, was develop the Florida property, do a lot more with it to generate a lot more income. Right. And that's why that's why they went off on the boom to build all the hotels. What about now what's called Disney Springs? What was that area like back when the Magic Kingdom first opened? Was it all residential? What what would people have done in that area? Well, when it actually opened, if you look just where where Disney Springs is now, um, the there were there was a total of three different places to stay. Uh, they didn't open until the mid. 70s maybe 75 76 somewhere in there but uh to the very north where the original tree houses um where oh, the tree okay. houses are now those are rebuilds completely from the ground up of the originals um i stayed in the originals in, in 1980 um as you came further south closer to, towards disney springs there was one or two additional um places to stay that were originally going to be corporate housing when the whole Lake Buena Vista was going to be a community type thing and bringing people in from for corporate events and whatnot. They wanted to sell these out as condos, but by the mid-80s, they were just basically renting them out as as hotel rooms, as villas. Uh, so there were two different types of villas, I believe, at the time. There were these brown ones that had these funky angles, and then they had these other ones that were gray, uh, more your standard 80s condo-looking <laughs> type <laughs> things. Uh, and, and, and I stayed in those um and you know that was all those two areas were completely flattened and thus became disney institute and thus became you know disney springs you, you don't era, find much footage of that do you when it comes to the film or the photos that you've uh you've received or things you restore we have uncovered some of the pool area and um some around um the clubhouse around there mm. um there's an individual that we know by the name of David Coolidge. We restored some of his personal films. He, he's a, a painter. He's a well-known painter. And um, he traveled down there a number of times to display his paintings at Lake Buena Vista at one of their art hmm. events. Yeah, they would do a, every year starting in, I think, 77, they started doing the Festival of the Masters down there, yeah. uh, which went away when they started reconstructing for Disney Springs and may come back. Right, right. Hmm. So, but that whole area, we we have a little bit of footage on it. We do have some um, additional footage coming soon, um, but uh, a little hint there. But we've got also, if you remember that whole area from where the the you know what is now Fulton's Crab Shack, you know the uh, the Empress Lily was. Oh yes, is all the way up to where the tree houses. It was a, a other than those gray villas, it was a mass of of brown and orange design. I mean, it was a very natural setting. A lot of pines. Um, not as open and fresh and as you know white as you, as you as you see it today and as busy, it was a much more laid back atmosphere. Uh, it was also a, sh a shopping experience, but also a place where where people in the area could go um, to get some local provisions as well. 
you mentioned before when you guys used to go down, especially you, you mentioned it more, Todd. I don't, Brian, mm-hmm. you must have ha- brought stuff back when you went uh, that one time as a kid. You were talking about souvenirs. Yeah. Let's face it, things are collectible these days. Uh, <laughs> you've even given away some older vintage items as prizes yeah. on your show. Uh, can we talk a little bit about souvenirs? I mean, the difference sure. between what you could buy at the parks today is a lot different than when they first opened. Well, one of the words you just said is key. Parks. Ah, yes. Everything mm-hmm. says Disney Parks on it. Right. So if we go back to what my, what I said in my guidebook back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I would say that if you see something at a shop and you mm-hmm. like it, buy it. Because chances are the percent chance of you finding it, finding it somewhere else within all the different resorts and theme park was was very low. Mm-hmm. That is not a rule of thumb anymore. You know, if you look at the bottom of anything, if you look at the shopping bags, you look at all the stickers, everything is genericized down to the napkins and the forks. Yeah. You know, it's all Disney parks. Um, don't get me wrong. There are still things that you could buy in the Germany Pavilion that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's certain limits to that. Um, but it has become, you know, more generic. Um, they still do some nice custom items. Um, but the variety of the merchandise, you know, I'm going to use my Epcot example and, and also use some examples of, you know, the ticket transportation center where they have a little souvenir stand. Um, the type of stuff that you get there today is just not what it used to be. You know, there were enough trinkety things from little games and keychains and magnets for every single pavilion um, where you, you, you may have a magnet for a ride now, but you're not going to find the, the you know, end cap just filled with horizons merchandise <laughs> you know yeah, and, you, and you I, may get it now for a period of time when they're trying to sucker money out of us but. right <laughs> i think i think it bears mentioning that that the merchandising there goes through three phases uh pretty much from opening through the early 80s uh how how's best description description of it was really crappy yeah. Uh, because <laughs> what it was was most of the merchandise that they sold then, the souvenirs, were things like ashtrays and um, uh, you know uh, uh, kitchen towels that said Polynesian Village and okay. uh, the, yeah that the, uh, generic um, we it's treasure craft it's um, they were souvenirs that you know the exact same item would be sold in Niagara Falls and say Niagara Falls on it. But it would say, you know, Walt Disney World. And so when you just shot glasses, things like that, that's the kind of stuff that really dominated the merchandising in the 70s. And it's cool now. I mean, I have a Polynesian Village uh, dish towel set that, that my buddy got me 10 years ago for Christmas that's still in the original package. I'm never going to use it in my kitchen. Maybe someday I'll frame it or find some use for it. Uh, but, you know, it's... If somebody brought me back a dish towel today, I'd be like, oh, I don't know that I need a Art of Animation Resort dish towel. You know, <laughs> so 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 that was the first phase, and then as the '80s came in, this you know the early '80s, really through through the '90s, uh, you got a lot of attraction specific merchandise. You got things like the pens that had the the water in the back of them, with like in Epcot Center, it was a spaceman that moved back and forth, and in hmm. the Magic Kingdom, it was Tinkerbell floating back and forth. You know, they, they, each park had its own stuff, a lot of attraction-specific merchandise. In fact, this month on the podcast, we're giving away a Pirates of the Caribbean glass mug, which led to like a 100-tweet discussion 
as to when, <laughs> when it actually originated. And like we finally narrowed it down that it was actually like a like an early 80s item because mm. we didn't know it was 80s or 90s or when because there's no copyright on it. Um, so, you know, you had some real and that's where people have the most powerful memories of merchandise is that 80s and 90s stuff where all the resorts had a lot of specific resort stuff, you know, that's that had the name of the resort and, and special designs and unique items. And then as the 2000s came, as Todd mentioned, it all kind of became genericized. And, and what you do find now in one shop, you find in 100 shops. Uh, right. And and uh, and they are starting the merchandise team, I think, over the last couple of years. There's more resort. I, I know for a fact the, the resort specific merchandise has started to return, you know, hats and T-shirts, but also some other trinkets and stuff from these from these resorts bearing the resort's actual names. That isn't, you know, generic, uh, and you're start, and we're starting to see it more with the attractions. The one exception I remember is after everybody freaked out when they took Figment out of Imagination, and then they brought him back in 2003 uh, with the third iteration of that Journey into Imagination ride. I, I I really feel like there was a meeting where they said, okay, these pies want Figment, we're going to shove them down your throat, because mm-hmm. there was like just a you know between the the gigantic Figment meet and greet. There was so much Figment merchandise uh, that that was done like 2003, 2004 when he came back, and it's hard. It's funny now because there actually isn't a lot now. Right. right. Um, yeah. That's you know, true. it's hard. It's hard to find it now. But there was a ton uh, from right around when they brought him back into the ride, and some of it I come across today. I'm like, really, this stuff's kind of cool. I wish they were still making it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys consider yourselves collectors of the souvenirs in Ephemera? I've got I've got a bunch of ephemera and and um, I've got everything from some menus and, and old park maps and eyes and years mm. and I've dumped a lot of it over the years. Um, yeah. I, I I was going through. I recently moved. And I went through my books the box again. I'm like I gotta give this stuff away. I was just gonna <laughs> reference that Todd and I have both gone through moves. And the, actually, yeah. all, all of us except for JT have gone through. Yeah, JT needs to move the, now since the, uh, <laughs> the podcast started. And each of us have kind of gone into these. You know, in my case, it's about a a twenty year collection of things, and not a ton of stuff. I have one curio cabinet that that displays uh, Epcot and cool old Disney stuff uh, ten months a year, and then Christmas stuff the other two months a year. But outside of that, I've really reached a point where unless it's something I really want to keep in terms of unique paper or something, uh, I'm trying not to buy cool stuff because what happens is after you have it, six months, it's like buying a pool table. I really don't play pool that often. And now I got this giant table. So so people listen to our podcast and win a lot of the stuff that is coming from our personal collections that we're – you know that we're giving away so that's true i still i do have a whole i mean there's a holy grail out there. i want to get waltz autograph but i maybe if i sell everything i can yeah. help buy an autograph <laughs> your listeners are reaping the rewards of your moving because now <laughs> that you've got all those boxes that you don't want to keep in storage or anything yeah and, and this year we're doing so for our we give a prize away at the end of the year a big prize that we take from all the entries over the course of the year and this prize uh, this year every month we're adding something to it. So by the end oh, of yeah. the year, there's going to be 12 or 13 things in this box. Yeah. It's right. like the showcase showdown. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> right. So, yeah, the, each month the we not only give away a prize, but we, we then add a prize to the pot. And, right. and so each of us have been pulling a cool thing to add to the prize pot. In fact, today I just told Todd I accidentally bought a second 1993 yeah. Disney World yeah. calendar because I collect these calendars. And I said, well, you accidentally bought it at the pot. <laughs> 
In it goes. In it goes. I have a question here from my goddaughter, who is we we took her to Disney World. Let's see. I guess she was just shy of one year old back in '99. We didn't go back for she didn't go back for a while. We went together in 2009, and ever since then, she and her family are the uh, pretty much the traveling partners when my wife and I go down. Okay. And and she is going to try. I think she's seriously considering trying to apply to do the Disney internship program over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just goes to show how how much she enjoys it down there and how much she's into everything Disney. Uh, she wanted me to ask you guys a question, so sure. I feel this is a, a great way to close before we start talking about the website and stuff. Uh, she wants to know. Oh, and her name is Anna, so a shout out to yeah. Anna. If Walt was still around today, what do you think he would say about all the new cha- new attractions and changes that have occurred at Disney World? Well, Anna, that's that's a, that is one of the hardest questions. Mm-hmm. To answer. Of course. <laughs> uh, let me roll back to a story about Walt first. Sure. There's a great story about Walt when he built Disneyland, and um, he had a he caught a gardener. And he said to the gardener, what, what, what are you doing? He goes, well, the, the people start walking over the curb here and beat a path down and um, planting the flowers back. I'm putting the grass back. He goes, Walt says, no, 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 no. You don't do that. They're telling you what they want. Put the path there. Change it. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you learn from the people. Now, how we learn from what people and individuals visiting Disney World want Um I, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people would say absolutely because the world has changed. People want the faster rides. The education side that they always threw a, a, as a moniker for Epcot has, you know, uh, has lost its touch and all that. Um, and we have to remember that the world is different. What people want is different. And the Disney company is doing the best they can to adjust the theme parks um, to what they feel the experiences are, are wanted. And also, too, they're under the pressure of, you know, their their competitors down the street. So from that aspect, they are doing what they need or feel they need to do in order to keep the revenue and keep things driving. Um, and we also have to remember that at this point now, we're how many animated features in? When Walt started, he only had a handful of characters to go by. You're, you have a lot of different people that are going to like a lot of different areas of the of the animation and the you know attractions and all the different characters and stuff they have so you, you have a lot more that you can do now i think walt would have at least from my perspective probably pretty much mixed feelings on on what he would see i think there's certain aspects that were done in the late 90s and early 2000s where were you know again i'm not i don't want as brian said to start a twitter war but we're pretty <laughs> abysmal <laughs> uh but i have to commend them on Going back to some of the routes that they've done with Storyland Circus and the, you know the Little Mermaid area and those different things, uh, if we continue to see, and I, I've been to Cars Land and Cars Land in California, it's just it's amazing. It's what you would expect to come out of of something uh, of Disney caliber. Oh, wow. um, if we continue to see those changes and those things in the physical aspect of the park, uh, I, I think Walt's happy. I'm certainly not going to comment on the ticketing and fast pass system because we'll be here all night discussing that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he may have different views on that. But uh, that's uh, Brian, what, what would you say? I'll, I'll give a couple of answers. The first answer was somebody <laughs> else's answer. Uh, there was a wonderful man named Jack Spence. He, well, he's still alive, so I don't want to talk about him in the past sense, but he doesn't write for All Ears anymore. But the website All Ears, he would write a column every month or two 
and they were always very, very good. He actually wrote a column. If you search, you Google what would Walt do, Jack Spence. Uh, he wrote a whole column about this, and it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the quick answer is no one knows what Walt would think. Uh, you know, it is all sure. speculation. It's all guessing. Um, and I think Todd's right. There certainly are some things he'd probably be like, I, I don't really care for that. But overall, that question was asked to Lillian Disney in 1982 uh, when they opened Epcot. What would Walt think of all this? And she said he'd be thrilled. Uh, he'd be shocked that his, his name is carried on like this and that the company had gotten as big as it's gotten. And I think he'd be positively blown away by the size and scale of everything now. I mean, they're, they're, are they the largest entertainment company in the world now? If not, pretty much there. <laughs> I, I mean, I think yeah. I think so with the with this you know with ABC and everything else now. I, I think they probably are. Uh, you know, they were a, a small movie studio in California with an amusement park when he, when, when he died. Uh, so this is this is like mind blowing to him. Uh, you know, and and certainly I think he'd probably immediately start picking apart the quality of things. Uh, but then he would run into modern day corporate governance where we don't get to do things just because you say so hmm. there's stockholders and the sec and everybody else that you have to answer to that just wasn't like that when he was alive uh when he was alive he said i wanted to you know rip down that building and put that up and they just did it and uh if you study corporate governance these days uh you can't just do that anymore right. so it, fascinating but i think overall he'd, he'd just be blown away well thank you for answering that question i know she's gonna love hearing your answers thanks yeah, I Good Thanks. luck on your application, yes. Anna. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Hope to see you down there. Let's uh, let's talk about the website a, a bit before we go. Uh, it's sure. retrodisneyworld.com. Correct. And the podcast comes out once a month. Is there a particular uh, date that you guys always shoot for or to, uh, like a third yeah. Monday or something like that? Right now we're pretty much around the third week in the – you know, around mm -hmm. the 20 something of the month um uh -huh. we're probably we may move it to the first of a month and do double up on an episode or uh -huh. skip a week or something like that but yeah it's it's uh it's once a month and, and people have asked us oh do it do it twice a month do it <laughs> weekly and and it's just a simple answer to that and if you listen to the latest episode we actually talked about that on, on episode 18 but um it's it's really it's quality over content i'm sorry quality over quantity right and uh, it takes a lot of us uh, to put the show together there's four of us here but we, we all shine, kind of share in the writing and putting it together and figuring things out um i do the editing brian's the qa manager uh, so to speak and and you know it, it it's a lot of time and we want it to be fun for us if we did this you know every week or two weeks we we get burned out right. we'd absolutely get burned out so it's it's a hoot for us to to sit down and spend you know three to four hours recording or whatever it is depending on you know we burn the midnight oil we don't start till nine o'clock at night we're sometimes going to almost one in the morning depending on the topic and the episode <laughs> um and half the time we're <laughs> fooling around and stuff but it, it's it's great and it's it's a lot of fun so um but yeah that's the the long answer well, there's a lot yeah. of research that goes into it, right, guys? Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. you guys all have your roles, I would guess. Uh, like you said, you do the editing. Yeah, and each each of us uh, tends to take a lead on an episode, so mm -hmm. they kind of we we designate. Uh, you know, usually somebody volunteers for it, but uh, often it has fallen to how when it when it's an older thing that he has firsthand experience with, mm -hmm. um, as it did with Mister Toad, and as it did with World of Motion. Uh, but each of us have pitched in and and and, and kind of led on an episode. It's interesting. This next episode, we kind of split it up into sections. Right. So each of us has taken a little piece of it, uh, which I guess we can announce, Todd. Right? Yeah, you we know, might as well. So the the winning we had we had I mentioned it earlier. We had 
uh, we had um, the land, Communicore, and the Living Seas. Uh, in, in a heated battle of voting, and, and it, <laughs> it was amazing because one lapped out, and then there, it was like a horse race. It was really interesting to watch. But the, the winner, our, our our listeners have voted, and, and they chose the Living Seas for the next episode. Mm. So that's what we'll be uh, we'll be doing. Oh, I look forward to that. Okay, so this will post on the sixteenth. So what, what do you th- when when do you think well, the show will be up? In a, we're recording uh, it a week from tonight, I think. Okay, yes, uh, we recorded the sixteenth or the seventeenth, so we generally have about a week of post production. So oh, great. We'll target the May 24th is probably what right. we're looking to- at. Toward the end of the month, something to listen yep. to over Memorial Day weekend, I guess, right? Exactly. For, for, for Get everybody. it up before the, ever have somebody listen to something to listen to while they travel. You guys are on iTunes, so I encourage yep. everybody to subscribe. Leave you, we are leave. on Google Play now, too. Are you really? Oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, we're on Google Play. If you search there, it was a couple of weeks ago we got added, so. And no matter where you find the guys, leave them a five-star review because it does help them get discovered, get their way up on top in all these aggregators out there. So please do that. Appreciate How, now, I know you guys uh, try to monetize the show. You have uh, merchandise and uh, sometimes you have sponsors. You want to talk about some of the merchandise? Yeah. So the merchandise is, is an interesting thing. We first started out just by doing some some of our logo stickers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what we started getting into was how's a, a uh, kind of a, a natural, and also by by his um, uh, his full time job, he's he's a graphic designer, so mm. he loves sitting down and designing things. So we started taking funny things that happened during the show and 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 taking the episodes and turning them into interesting T shirts um, and stickers and designs and notebooks and all sorts of stuff. So we have a shop at Redbubble. Red so if you um, go to retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us. S-U-P-P-O-R-T-U-S. I'll take you to our Redbubble shop, and uh, you know we've done electrical water pageant shirts with the with the dragon design. We've got the um, uh, the Newness Wave Machine uh, Surf Generation Company, which is a Roy, Roy's cabin. Roy's, Roy's, Roy's cabin. cabin, which is a the, now we've alluded to Roy's it. cabin a little bit on the show. I was going to yeah. I was going to make sure I was going to keep Roy's cabin as a like a little tease for for the folks to listen to your show, but did you want to give a little synopsis of Roy's Cabin? I'll, I'll give you the short version because okay. it actually the, the the explanation on our show spreads over two episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the second and third episode. Or so this would be like a good that. tease. Good tease. But yeah. but yeah. the short version of it is that when they bought the property, the twenty seven thousand acres in Florida, uh, on the shores of what is today Bay Lake, there was a cabin uh, that was there. That was used at least once by Roy Disney and some Disney executives to kind of as a I don't want to say a headquarters, but as a meeting point before they did a walking tour of what would eventually be Fort Wilderness and jumped on a boat to survey uh, the land where they would ultimately build the contemporary and Discovery Island and that. So it somewhere along the way it got the moniker Roy's Cabin long before we came along. <laughs> uh, and there's actually photos in the Florida State Archives of Roy walking along the outside of it. Um, and then uh, Hal did a tremendous uh, amount of research after we talked about it on the one episode, on our first episode. And he ended up getting like some personal documents and other things and finding out what the what the actual usage and ownership was and and what its ultimate fate was. And the short story is the ultimate fate is when uh, it was it was far too um, uh, dilapidated when Disney began to construct Fort Wilderness for it to survive. Uh, So they demolished it. And when you get off the the boat dock at Fort Wilderness and to, to go into the resort right there where the general store and all is, right around there is where Roy's Cabin used to be. <laughs> and we tend to mention it every single episode. 
It's almost like yeah, a hidden Mickey. Of, it's, right? it's a hidden Mickey. There, there's yeah. a couple of hidden Mickeys in actually Roy's cabin appears the most frequent. Uh, chest of drawers. Chest comes of drawers. Up a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one that's only made two or three appearances is a family by the name of the McFarkles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will they will make an appearance during. And then the off off uh, off the episodes, but usually in some process during the recording. One of us teases Todd about a cotton jumper, cotton jumper. <laughs> because he described uh, in the souvenir episode, he described this Mickey Mouse toy that he had uh, that actually was a uh, it was a balloon inflator. Uh, yeah, we later terrible. found like original so, ones for sale, yeah, but he this. described it as wearing a cotton jumper. <laughs> and the next month, JT just kept hitting him with cotton jumper, cotton jumper, oh, cotton jumpers. The editing that month was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with with the merchandise, we've got all sorts of stuff. And now what we've done is every month we come out with a new shirt. Yeah. Um, so we did Tom Nabby. We had him on, and uh, yeah. he developed something called the Nabby Grabber, which retrieves fallen uh, items down the, from the between the monorail tracks. Uh, so we made a, a Tom Nabby, Nabby Grabber company shirt. Um, like I said, we've got the electrical one. Um, we they should be on the red bubble shop now but we made shirts for groups going that um are different colors and are the names of the different mr toad's uh cars uh so those right. those are on there um so every episode we we've we've got something coming out but the roy's cabin and the wave generator are by my are by far my my favorites <laughs> do you solicit people for their uh video footage i mean their film footage to provide a service to restore the films Exactly, and and what here's here's how it was. If if you have any of your listeners or anybody out there has film footage um, that they would like restored, if they pay the rest, if they pay the transfer fee, that is the the cost of scanning it and putting it in a digital format, um, we will do the restoration for free as long as we're allowed to view it and and show other people. We don't. You know, we can cut out faces and cut out people and all that stuff. He, he's talking about Disney-related footage. Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to show Aunt Bessie's 90th birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not interested That's in right. that. You can let other people do that. But um, Those will be other guests in, in some other week. <laughs> exactly. We have had a few people who have contacted us. We've had a few people that we've reached out to from other sources. And only one or two has ever actually decided to say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to get it done. Um, mm. There's some people that have some very rare footage, and we've We've actually paid for theirs because it was so rare. Um, so can't hurt to ask us. Right, and then we've had right. people that we've contacted who've got like bad transfers on YouTube. And so they say, hey, if you send it to us, we'll do it for free. Yeah. And they say, sure. And then we never hear from them. And never they're they're gone. Them. And they have some really, really cool rare. So there's some cool stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah, And then some people know more than them setting up a, you know, a projector projecting into a wall. And they mm-hmm. set the camera off on the side. And it's just horrible. <laughs> And here you're making that offer, and they're just not taking you up on it. No, no. Yeah, no. How can people find you or follow you on the interwebs? Is there uh, social networking sites that you would like to point the people to? Absolutely. So we are on um, – so personally, I, I'm, I'm the one that responds to most of the stuff, but all four of us have access to do everything. Um, but you can go to RetroDisneyWorld.com, mm-hmm. and we're RetroWDW on Twitter and um, Retro Disney World on Facebook as well, RetroWDW on Pinterest and Instagram. So we are on all the, the and major I'll, ones. And I'll do my role and plug the host. Go ahead. Go for it right now. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. Let's listen no, to Brian. With, this with is no the, script. This is the follow, professional way. You follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, <laughs> on Twitter, at GoAwayGreen. 
Follow JT Couser at Hoagie's Garage. And you can find me, Brian Miles, or you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Brian P. Miles. Look at that. I, it's like I, it's built in. I feel I only like I. My own up. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, I know. I like that. I feel like I just listened to the end of one of your episodes. Just <laughs> that was pretty good. And I will say the end, editing the end is one of the best parts of editing. Now, why always, is that? I I I love the, putting it together so that it sums it up. Uh-huh. It feels good, and people want to come back and listen for more. It would happen when I first pre-recorded that uh, script um, because I was getting tired of kind of running through it every <laughs> mm-hmm. episode. And make him do it every episode. I, I would I would then send it to Todd and usually drop some kind of music vaguely related to the topic or or directly related to whatever we discussed that episode. And my favorite was when I got uh, when I did the when we did the uh, Disney MGM opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did the script of the end of the great movie ride. It uh, was and, great. Uh, you know, it's just I had the whole hooray for Hollywood in the background, and I masked my voice like I was speaking through the microphone, and that was a lot of fun. That one came out great. Yeah, but usually it's just a matter of dropping the right music behind it. Now, now I actually leave it to Todd. He just has the voice, uh, and he drops in all the music and whatever else he's doing with it. And that's kind of cool because then it's a surprise for me when I'm doing the Q&A or the QA quality assurance listen to see what he's done with it You know, <laughs> yep. that month, what, what music he's dropped in. Exactly. Oh, nice. Well, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, thanks for having us. Everybody, I want you to listen to Retro Disney World podcast. Go to RetroDisneyWorld.com. Listen to the show. Go, go back. I've... Once I discovered the guys, I was uh, trying to think. You were about at the Christmas episode. So that would have okay. been, what, about number 12, number 11, somewhere around uh, there? Yeah, about 15 or so, yeah. Oh, okay. And I, I went back to the beginning because I'm a completionist. And I had <laughs> to start from the beginning, and I worked my way up. And it, 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 it's a, well, it, it's if, a if great listen. If you jump listen. in the middle, you just won't understand. What's this yeah. chest of drawers with Roy's yeah. head and the sparkles? I don't understand it. You, mm-hmm. you have to. You have to be there from the beginning. It's like watching Breaking Bad. You have to start from the beginning and work your way all the way through. And it, this is fun. <laughs> this is a well, lot of fun. And, and and we'll also tell our listeners who are listening uh, that they should uh, subscribe to George and Tony's podcast. And why don't you tell our listeners where to find you? Exactly. Oh, thank you. Uh, we are at georgeandtony.com. We're also on iTunes uh, under the George and Tony Entertainment Show. Uh, we don't have a website uh, like you guys. Uh, our site just houses the episodes. We don't have the kind of text that you guys have and the, and the blogging that you do. Uh, th- that's why I love your site. You have all the uh, the films out there. We have none of that. But if you want to find our show, we're at georgeandtony.com. Uh, but if you want to contact us, uh, we're on Facebook at George and Tony Entertainment, and we're on Twitter at George and Tony. So thank you for letting me say that. Guys, uh, I'm going to be listening at the end of the month to uh, episode 19. I want my listeners to do the same. I hope we can uh, keep this dialogue going, and I am looking for film that I want to hopefully yeah. get you to restore. And one other thing for the listeners and any Disney listener out there, if you're going to be at D23 uh, this coming November, uh, let us know because uh, we will probably be having a retro WTW event down there. We're going to be doing something special for our listeners and it's in the planning stages, but it's going to be fun, and there may be some exclusive films released then. Yeah, so. that's November nineteenth and twentieth, the weekend before Thanksgiving, down there at the Contemporary Resort. Yep. Once you guys told me about that, you know I'm trying to work that out myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> love we'll to meet you there. guys in person. <laughs> there we yes, go. Be a lot of fun. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Thanks for Thanks, having us, George. George. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Chimes out. 
And that was my conversation with Todd McCartney and Brian P. Miles from the Retro Disney World Podcast. I'd like to thank the guys for being here this week. I'd also like to thank uh, Howe and JT from the Retro Disney World Podcast for allowing me to talk to the other guys and giving them some time off from the extensive research that they do for each episode. And don't forget their website is RetroDisneyWorld.com. Check them out and, uh, and check out their merchandise tab as we talked about in the show. Howe has created some clever designs of some of the things that they have spoken about in the show. And I think that even the casual Disney fan would be interested in picking up some of that merchandise. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, this is the part where we do our thank yous before we close the show. I'd like to thank Tom Lewy, our voiceover guy, and Chuck Strouch, the man who designed our wonderful logo. There are also the Rebels at Realm. That'd be Mark Ronick, Lowell Meltzer, Buzz Burbank, and the easy writer himself, the engineer extraordinaire, R.J. Diaz. And of course, this show would not be possible without a generous grant from Connie and our benevolent overlord, Bianca. Tony is scheduled to be back next week, and we may actually find out how he did on his PMP exam. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you'll return next week. In the meantime, perhaps you'll go back into our archives and check out some of our shows. The closing of the show is going to be very hard to explain to those who are new to us, so you're going to have to go back to the archives and kind of get a gist of how we handle the closing of the show. This month, we changed it up just a bit, and we were going to pay tribute to Prince at the end of the show, every week this month, leading up to his birthday at the beginning of June. Considering the guests we had on the show today and the content that we had, I think we're going to change it up just a little bit and return to the Prince tribute next week. So until then, rest in peace, Walt Disney. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.